Hello, my name is Austin, and I'm a part of the team here at Waypoint. Uh, welcome. We're glad you're here today. So uh, today, before we get going, I just want to let you guys know that we've got two teams heading to uh, different places of the country to go do some work, uh, to go serve communities, um, pray for people, and uh, just do God's work. And so uh, I've, got, I've got these teams up here. So we've got a student team and uh, one adult team. And so I think it would just be appropriate for us this morning to uh, take a moment and just lift them up in prayer. Uh, they're traveling right now. Um, so yeah, let's, uh, let's pray for safe travels and just, and just a, a week of, of encouragement um, as they go and serve. Um, that not only are they encouraged by the work they're doing, but the people in the community that they're impacting are encouraged by the work of Jesus through these people. Amen? All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning, this day. Uh, this is another opportunity to gather together um, in community to worship you, to learn from your word. Um, God, to just stand before you and... Uh, and, and, and be in your presence among others and lift up one name, the name of Jesus. And so we're grateful for that this morning. God, it's so good to be your people. And so uh, as we come together as a community, we also know and want to lift up those of, our, those of us in our community who have gone out. Um, so Jesus, be with our students. Be with our leaders heading to war, West Virginia. And, and be with them. Go before them, come alongside them, and stay behind them, God, as they, as they work and uh, do your work. So be with them. God, I pray, um, I pray that hearts are, are changed. I pray that this is an opportunity, a, for, a formative opportunity for them to not only grow uh, in their relationship with you, but also in their relationship with each other. So we love you, Lord. We thank you uh, for that. We pray for safe travels. Uh, be with them. Be with us this morning, too. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, I want to start off this morning uh, with a question, which if you're new here, um, this is not uncommon for me to do. I like to ask questions. Um, <clears throat> it's, uh, it's just fun that way. And it gets you guys engaged, okay? Because I'm, I'm not just talking head up here for a little while. I, I don't always love that. So um, I want to ask you this. Are you tired? See some head nods? Someone just yawned. So, it's quite possible we're tired. <clears throat> okay, all right, just a few though, interesting. Let me ask you this. Are you busy? Audible, yes, for that one, okay. Do you feel like you're always in a hurry from one place to another? Do you have a list of things to do that feels like it's never ending? Do you have emails and texts that need responded to? Do you have multiple projects at work that need your time and attention to keep from falling behind? Maybe you've got kids or grandkids or just family that, and perhaps you feel like you should be spending more time with them because life just goes by way too fast. Does it feel like there's just not enough hours in the day, days in the week, for everything you feel you need to do. Are you tired? When I put it like that, maybe. 
And the question of are you tired has become a bit of a rhetorical question for us, hasn't it? Because, like, if we're honest, of course. Of course we're tired. Low-grade exhaustion is like the new normal in our culture, in our society, right? It feels like, and, and quite honestly, it feels like whenever I ask someone how they're doing, it's so funny, it happened this morning. I ask, whenever I ask someone how they're doing, the response I usually get is, oh, you know, good, tired, but good. You know, or it's something along the lines of busy, things are crazy at work, super busy with family and sports and, you know, all that stuff, baseball, but good, but good, things are good, things are good. But is it actually good? And are you really good? The latest research from neuroscientists shows that insufficient sleep is causing devastating effects on our mind and body. Devastating. Psychologists are now diagnosing people with what is called hurry sickness, which is a phrase coined by a man named Walter Friedman, a psychologist, who connected the dots between chronic stress and heart disease. Okay, he defines hurry sickness as a continuous struggle of unremitting an unremitting attempt or unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things or participate in more and more events in less and less time. And some of you are thinking, wait, that's just life. Right? That's just, that's just how it goes. Right? And, and quite honestly, that's the way it is for us now. Doctors are calling this a Western disease. Hurry sickness. It's a disease. But I'm good. I'm good. I think we really want to believe that we're doing good. And that, that we really are living the good life, so much so that we end up unconsciously lying to ourselves and justifying whatever we need to in order to keep on believing that we're doing good. And I get it, there's definitely seasons of life when like it is just unavoidable. Like the tiredness is just unavoidable. Trust me, get it, I get it. I have a newborn and a two and a half year old. Okay, like it is, it is that right now. I am tired. <laughs> But the reality is, it's become chronic for too many of us, so many of us. And it's not just our bodies, it is, in Jesus' language, our souls. Even when we go on vacation and catch up on sleep, there's just a spiritual exhaustion that does not go away in the modern world because it's a result of the hurry, the busyness, the crazy pace of a modern life, right? The always-on work culture, you can, always be, you can always be reached out to. Someone can always get a hold of you whenever they want. The rising cost of living. More and more people getting multiple jobs just to stay afloat. The digital age, right? The phone that never stops buzzing. The constant stream of alerts, 24-7 news cycle that is just often filled with outrage and fear. The polarization of politics. Radical individualism. And with it, the epidemic of loneliness, what some are calling the greatest um, uh, health crisis of our time, right? Is it any, any wonder that we feel tired? I don't think so. And this problem of chronic exhaustion isn't just an emotional problem, okay, or even a medical problem. It is, at its core, friends, a spiritual problem. And it is a spiritual problem because we follow Jesus, 
who said that the greatest commandment in all of the scriptures is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. For Jesus, love is the focal point of our spiritual journey. It is the metric by which we chart our progress. But the more exhausted we are, the more difficult it is for us to love or bear any fruit of the Spirit. As Jesus said, the worries of this life, the worries of this life, the stress, the anxiety, the the demands of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and they choke the word, making it unfruitful. If love for God and obedience to God are two sides of the same coin, as it is as Jesus seemed to believe and taught, it's hard to love God when you're worn down. Scientists would tell us that that a lack of rest erodes our prefrontal cortex, the part of your brain that does all the risk-taking, that's your impulse control, stuff like that. And so when we are tired, we are more prone to sin. And just as a general rule, tired people are usually not loving people, right? Most of my worst moments as a human, as a friend or a coworker, husband, father, have been when I am exhausted, stressed, or in a hurry. I'm more irritable, impatient, selfish. In other words, I'm not doing good. But I have gospel for you this morning. Good news. This isn't how it's meant to be. This isn't how we're supposed to live our lives. Jesus' will for your life is not for you to be chronically exhausted, sleep-deprived, unhappy, and living with no margin in your life. That is the enemy's will for your life, not Jesus. It is the enemy who is anti-rest, anti Sabbath, as we'll get to today. You may have heard the phrase, well, the devil never takes a day off. Anyone heard that before? Has anyone, you've heard that before, maybe? Maybe your grandma said it to you or something, right? The devil never takes a day off, as they say. Last time I checked, the devil loses, right? Last time I checked, that dude, it ends with him dying. We're not following the devil, friends. We are following Jesus. And one of the most famous invitations of Jesus is from Matthew. This is Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love the way that Eugene Peterson puts it. In the message, he says, are you tired? Are you tired? Worn out, burned out on religion. Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. However you translate Jesus' invitation in Matthew, it is clear that his way to live, of living in God's kingdom, is grounded in rest. 
rest. Except us, we don't usually rest until we're dangerously tired, until we're down to like 20 or 30%, right? If, if your life is like an iPhone battery at the top, like that's, that's usually when we plug in is when we start to get around that point. And it, we're often not plugged in long enough to get all the way back up to full, just enough to keep going for the day, just enough to keep going for the week. And what we miss out on when we don't get to full is what the New Testament refers to as the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, and more. The best stuff all comes when we are rested. Wisdom, insight, hope, vision for the future, grace for people's shortcomings, for our own shortcomings, energy to do our best work, creativity. This is why rest is essential to apprenticeship to Jesus, to following Jesus. Because if the end goal is to become a person of love in God, we will not be able to do that if we're chronically exhausted, if we're just tired. As disciples of Jesus, followers of his way of life and teachings, is there something, is there something we can do to reorient us away from exhaustion and towards rest for our souls, towards life to the full? as is the invitation with Jesus? And the answer is yes, absolutely. There are a handful of ways, but there is none more effective than what is known as Sabbath. First of all, I'm aware that there's a lot of different people in the room this morning. Generational gaps. And so there is a, there is a chance, different traditions. So there is a chance that some of us are familiar with the idea of Sabbath already. Maybe we grew up in a home or a tradition that took Sabbath very seriously, very religiously. And right or wrong, here's the, here's the point I'm trying to make. It is clear that Sabbath was important to Jesus, something he understood and practiced, and therefore as followers of Jesus, it is worth our time to understand and practice. So whatever connotations you might have in the room this morning, today, with Sabbath, with the idea of Sabbath, for the next several gatherings, as we meet on Sundays or in, the, in the month of July, I just want to humbly ask you and invite you to put those connotations aside for now. And I invite you to, to explore this idea of Sabbath with a renewed spirit. Okay? Are we good? We're all up to speed? Okay, cool. All right, just checking in, checking in. Okay, we, a lot of you said you were tired. So I'm talking about it. Okay? It's no coincidence, and here's the deal. Okay? After that invitation that Jesus has in Matthew, it's no coincidence that directly after that invitation in Matthew, we find two, two stories about Sabbath. Two stories about Sabbath. Directly after, rest for your souls. Hey, here's, a, here, here's what I want to teach you about Sabbath. The word Sabbath is from the Hebrew word Shabbat. Say it with me. Shabbat. Shabbat. Yep. I heard, I heard some good ones. Okay. The word Shabbat most literally means to stop, to cease, or to finish. But it can also mean to rest, to delight, and even worship. Based on that, we are going to be breaking up this Sabbath series into four main ideas. Stop, rest, delight, and worship. 
And the plan is to cover each of these ideas throughout the month of July. But all we're covering today is the idea of stop. And we can trace. We can trace this idea, the beginning of Sabbath, all the way back to the beginning. Like in the beginning, when God created the world. Genesis, this is from Genesis 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he Shabbat from all his work. He rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. He set it apart. And because because on it, he Shabbat, he Sabbathed. He rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Notice, God Sabbathed. God, Sabbath, God Almighty, all-powerful, who exists in and outside of time and space, Sabbathed. He rested. Yeah, Austin, but, but I've, got, I've got little kids at home, and I'm, I'm trying to get my career going, I'm trying to start this business, right? God Sabbathed. Yeah, but I'm a type A person, I've got, I've got a really high capacity to get stuff done. God Sabbathed. But I'm more of a doer, and I've got a lot going on in my life right now. God, Sabbathed. In case it wasn't clear, God, the creator of everything, Sabbathed, stopped, rested. And in doing so, he built, he built a, a, a new way, a new lifestyle into the fabric of creation. A new rhythm, one could say into the fabric of creation. We work for six days, and then we Sabbath. We stop for one. And so it comes to no surprise when every single society in the history of world civilization has been built around a seven-day week. Okay? And even though the week is one unit of time that's not tied to any movement of the stars. Okay? Not tied to any movement of the stars. The day is tied to the Earth's 24-hour rotation. Right? We go around the sun. Well, that's a year. Sorry, my bad. Don't, don't trust me. The Earth's rotation, the month to the moon's lunar cycle, and the year to the Earth's journey around the sun, right? The seven-day week, though, however, is not. The seven-day week is built out of God's own life rhythm. The smartphone, electricity, the alarm clock, the car, all have created a world where we go and we go and we go and we never stop. Now listen, I'm not saying that these things are all bad at all. I'm not saying that they're bad at all. My point is that God created the human soul, and one could even argue the planet itself to live in a rhythm, a rhythm between day and night, waking and sleeping, a rhythm between noise and the noise and activity of spring and summer, right? We're kind of experiencing that now, and the quiet hibernation of fall and winter. There's a tidal rhythm between the land and the sea that's over all of the earth. And within our own body, there's a rhythm of breath as we inhale and exhale. When we lose this sense of rhythm, a pace of back and forth, we lose a part of our humanity. When we live without Sabbath, we go against the grain, against the rhythm that God, the creator himself, built into our body into the very fabric of all creation. A philosopher by the name of H.H. Farmer once said, when you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. When we don't Sabbath, stop, we suffer 
We suffer the consequences. The consequences are, are, are things like burnout, stress, weakened immune systems, brain fog, and broken relationships, and not just with people, but with God too. We wonder why we don't feel close to God, and yet we can't remember the last time we just stopped. Also a Sabbath, when we participate in Sabbath, we reap the reward. I found this really interesting. More recently, and you might not, I don't know, but I'm going to share it with you anyway, okay? More recently, a medical study was done on a large community of Christians, okay? Uh, Seventh-day Adventists, just to be exact, but they practice Sabbath. They're one of like the, the few Christian communities that really practice Sabbath in, in a very uh, like religious way. And here's what's interesting about this. The study found that not only are they much happier on average, but they also live 11 years longer than other Americans. And one doctor even pointed out that if you add up the time devoted to Sabbath over a life, it's right around 11 years. He theorized that for every day you Sabbath, you are literally adding a day to your life. My point is this. The rhythm that God built into the fabric of, of his world, just like gravity, if you fight it, you will face the consequences. And I have. And I think many of us are. Which is why later, in the, and, and so did Israel, which is why later in the scriptures, Sabbath is then commanded by God. This is in Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but in the seventh day you will Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. He set it apart. You see, the Sabbath isn't just a good idea. It's one of the Ten Commandments, and it's actually the longest of all Ten Commandments. Friends, it actually makes up 37% of the Ten Commandments. And it's, it's just as or more important than not lying, stealing, or killing. Okay, and it's funny because it's also the only commandment that we brag about breaking. Few people brag about how many lies they said this week, right? Or how many affairs that they had. Or how many people they killed last week, unless you're a serial killer. But even they don't brag about it, okay? But here's the deal. Yet it's not uncommon for us in our everyday lives to hear someone bragging about, like, how many days they're working how many sales they closed, emails they finished, work they accomplished all over the weekend. I got it all done this weekend. Busyness and accomplishment has become a sign of social status, of how important you are or how much you matter. And friends, this is just not the way of God. Christians for a long time have debated whether or not Sabbath is a binding command on followers of Jesus. And honestly, I think that the question of whether or not we have to isn't as good of a question as whether or not we should. It's like me asking the doctor if I have to exercise and eat right. In this circumstance, I don't have to, but I should if I want to be healthy and fit. Even if the Sabbath command is no longer binding, it still stands as wisdom. 
And then we get to, to portions in Scripture where Jesus famously said in Mark 2, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. But he was speaking to a generation that had an issue that had the opposite problem of ours. They had hundreds of rules around the Sabbath that warped God's intent behind the day. First century Jews, they needed to hear the second half of that sentence. They needed to hear that the Sabbath was made for people, not people for the Sabbath. But I think today, many of us today, I think we need to hear the first part of that sentence. The Sabbath was made for people. It was made for us to live, to flourish, to be good. Our problem is not that we have too many rules around the Sabbath. It's that we don't have any. Long before the Sabbath is a command in the Scripture, it's a gift. It's a gift from the Creator to you, to me, to all of creation, from a generous, joyful, loving God. Hence the command, remember the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, we're to stop and remember that there is a creator God, that we live in his world and it is good. We stop and we remember there is a rhythm to creation. We remember that we don't stop when we're finished because we're never finished. It's never enough. The list always grows. We stop when the rhythm God built into our bodies says stop. We stop and remember that we're not what we do or what we have or what people think of us. Who we are is who we are deeply loved by. Many people fear stopping. We don't like the idea of just whatever stopping looks like for us. We wouldn't know what to do half the time. And so we fear stopping. We fear what emotions might come up in the quiet. We fear what we might actually have to deal with, what God might reveal to us when there's no other noise in our lives. We fear that we might not be seen or valued because if I'm not producing, if I'm not performing, then who am I? Sabbath is a weekly act of identity formation. In Sabbath, we remember I am God's loved one. Not because of what I do or what I have done, but because I can be still and be and know. <clears throat> we remember that our life with God is not a right, but a gift. We remember that the, that the world, though full of sorrow and evil, is also full of goodness and beauty. We remember that we owe it to God to be grateful and full of joy in his world. You see, Sabbath is more than just a day. It's more than just a day. It's a way of being in the world. And I think for too long, the church has just made it a day. Religion has just made it a day when it is a way of being. It's a way of living. Yes, it is a day of rest, but it is a day of rest where we cultivate a spirit of restfulness in all of our life a day by which we undergo a dramatic shift from restlessness to restfulness, from hurry to peace, from busyness to margin, 
from burnout to a sustainable pace, from constant noise to intentional quiet, from distraction to clarity, from isolation to solitude, from crowds to community, from grasping for what we want or think that we need to gratitude for all that we have. It's a shift. To participate in the Sabbath is to participate in the love and life of God himself. It is to center our life around him and to live more deeply in him. Not just in your Sabbath, but all week long. Biblical scholar Walter Brueggemann said, people who Sabbath live all seven days differently. Live all seven days differently. When God called the Sabbath day holy, he literally meant set it apart. He made it different from all the other days. People who Sabbath live all seven days differently. Aren't we called to stand out? To live different lives? To look different from the culture around us? You don't have to live a Sabbathless life of nonstop exhaustion. <clears throat> and that's where I'm getting at in this whole series. To start the conversation today, you, right where you are, no matter your stage of life, can Sabbath. And you don't have to buy it, you don't have to order it, you don't have to earn it. To start, all you have to do is stop. I think that because this is, a, this is a conversation we maybe never really thought that important, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> that it might be tempting just to think, okay, I'm going to learn a little bit more about Sabbath, just Sunday, right? He's talking about Sunday, what, what I'm supposed to do on a Sunday. When, uh, and I think that's true. That's partly true. But I think what's mostly true is how it impacts not just one day of the week, but every single day of your life. That this was a really important idea and practice of Jesus. It's an idea that I'm still trying to work on myself. But I do believe it's an idea that Jesus wants for us is important for us. He modeled for us and called us to rest. Rest. Are you tired? Jesus has rest. Can I pray for us this morning? Jesus, I'm aware that this room has all sorts of thoughts and ideas on rest. I'm aware that all of us are in different life stages. There might be some of us in the room. We literally cannot, cannot even think of a time that we could rest. 
We can't begin to think of an, an hour, let alone a day, that we could give to rest. And so, God, as we journey through this month in July, as we talk about Sabbath, God, I pray that you would just come alongside us and reveal to us your rest. Reveal to us what that looks like. God, show us the ways in which we can stop. Show us the ways in which we can begin to trust you so that when we do stop, we're stopping because we trust in you. When we do stop, Lord, be with us so that we're not filled with fear or anxiety. Lord, I pray as we learn about this day of rest, this rest that you call us to, of stop, rest, delight, and worship, I pray, Lord, that you would just reveal to us the ways in which we can rest, the ways in which we can Sabbath. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this morning and this opportunity to learn about you and your way of rest, your way of life. We praise you, God. It's in your name. Amen. We're going to do some things a little bit different uh, over this series, and we're going to provide um, just ideas, ideas that uh, will help you, um, for those of you that are more practical in the way that you like your messages or you like your teachings, um, we're going to provide some ideas, some things that are more practical to help us kind of engage with this idea of Sabbath. And so uh, look out for that on our social media. And um, yeah, engage with us in that way. So I do have a blessing. We're going to do that as we end every serv service with the Sabbath uh, with just a blessing, a blessing over all of you and a blessing for our church and our community as we engage with this idea. And so I'm going to have all of you guys stand and we're going to read this together. May the God of rest fill you with his peace and presence as you rest in him. Amen? Amen.